This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Brent Coulter. Well, hey, good morning, City Church. Y'all doing good today? Come on, do you like the person you're sitting next to this morning? Can you let them know? Can you say, I'm so glad I sat next to you today. I'm so glad. Come on, turn to them. We're encouraging people. Uh, my wife is FaceTiming. You want to say hello to my wife? Let's do this. Hey, buddy. It's, it's, uh, it's my son. Hi, hi, son. What do you want to show me, buddy? You want to, what are you, my son's not feeling well this morning. Tuda, can you say hi to everybody? Say, say, say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Okay, buddy. Hey, I just got up to preach, so I got to go, okay? I love you so much. Okay, see ya. Bye-bye. He wasn't feeling good this morning, so I FaceTimed him when we were in the back because uh, they weren't able to come to church, uh, and so I just wanted to make sure he was okay. So thank you for letting me do that. Um, hey, it's so good to be here today. Uh, I am, uh, like Pastor Brent said, no stranger to this place, and... My wife sends her love. She really wanted to be here. This is absolutely one of our favorite places to be. Uh, I think this is our eighth time um, doing something with the city church, whether it's something with the students or with you all, the adults. I think this is our eighth time here uh, in Mississauga. And so we've been coming up. I was just talking to Pastor Brent beforehand. I think it was six years ago. It was my first time up here. And so I feel like I'm, I really do feel like I'm a part of this house. And coming here is probably one of the more comfortable places for me to come and to attend is I just want to I just want to say how much I love you all and uh, I love Jane and Tyler your youth pastors here and and Ellen I think Ellen is amazing how many of you love Elle she's up here worshiping a moment ago I don't know where she's at but uh, I think she's just such a gift to to this house and uh, and, I, and I appreciate and love her so much then of course your senior pastors Brent and Nicole are dear friends of ours and um and like, like Pastor Brent said, uh, he was one of the very first people to invest into Ethos, uh, our church. In fact, I've got a picture I want to show you my family. This is on our one-year celebration, our one-year anniversary, which was just a few weeks ago. Uh, there's Judah, who you were just talking to a moment ago, and Sophia. Um, and, uh, and Sophia was the one who had the idea to do a silly face, and, uh, and yet she has the least silly face. And... She, it's, that's my family. That was our one-year celebration. It was about a month ago. So we're 13 months in right now. And I just want you all to know, you're, because of your generosity, and, and I mean this, I mean this because Pastor Brent brags on you guys, and uh, because of your generosity, you all sewed into Ethos Church. And in one year's time, uh, we saw 166 people give their lives to Jesus for the very first time. And that's, that's first-time salvations. And uh, it's amazing what God is doing, and we're so excited about it. And uh, it's been a grind at times, um, but God has been so faithful. And, uh, and we've just seen uh, amazing increase in the last several months. And so I just want to thank you for allowing us to be a part of your family here in Canada. Um, I love this place. It's cold and windy and rainy every time I come, and yet some reason I keep coming back. And so, so I love it. Hey, I want to I share this morning um, just for about 20, 25 minutes, not going to be too terribly long. Um, I, I want to share this morning from, from a message entitled Church with All People. And this is one of those, this is one of those talks where it's going to be really easy for you to, to lean in a little bit 
for somebody else. You know what I mean? Sometimes we come to church and we hear a message and we think, oh, man, I just, I got to give that to my coworker. I need, to, I need my friend to hear that message. Or, I mean, I just, I wish my spouse would listen closely right now. And, and yet this is, this is one of those talks where I really want to really challenge you to lean in and ask yourselves, how can I apply, how can I apply what's being spoken to me this morning? I, I want you to lean in. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit even right now in this moment. We're going to pray together in a second. But I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you specifically because I, I feel that this talk is, is a message that's, that's geared specifically for the church, capital C Church. And I know that you all are a part of a beautiful church here, but we're all a part of an even bigger kingdom of God. It's more important that we don't just think about the castle that we're building here, but rather the kingdom that we're building everywhere. And I think this is one of those conversations I want us to personally say, how can I go further to help build the kingdom that God is wanting me to be a part of building? Because we're all kingdom builders. You know that, right? Like this isn't just on Pastor Brent and Nicole's shoulders to build the city church or to build the kingdom here in, in the greater Toronto area. This is on you. It's on, it's on me. It's on us together. To be honest with you, and this, this might kind of sound strange from a, from, a, from a pastor in Columbus, Ohio, but, but to be honest with you, I've always had an affinity for this region. I've always had kind of a, a sense that I wanted to be a part of what God was doing in the greater Toronto region. There's something about what God's doing here that I think is special, that I think will be spoken of in books in years to come. Because I really believe that there's an outpouring of God's spirit and it starts right here with you. That's going to happen in this region. So I want us to pray and I want you to genuinely lean in and say, okay, God, I want you to mess with me this morning. I want you to rearrange some things within me today. So let's bow our heads and pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every single individual who's in this place today and for the opportunity that we have to gather together and to be a part of your church. Now, Father, we pray right now that you would make up the distance between what I would humanly say, what I've prepared to say, and what you want to speak into the hearts of every single man, every single woman in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to challenge us, to rearrange us, to convict us, and to sharpen us so that we can be a part of your kingdom in the expression of your kingdom here in the greater Toronto area. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said, amen. It just dawned on me as I was praying that this is the first time that I've been here since the Raptors have become the champions of the world. Only in the United States of America would we create an association called the NBA where we crown somebody victories, where we crown somebody a champion, and we call them the, the champions of the world. <laughs> I just thought about that as well. Like, we, we, anybody who wins the NFL, we're like, we're world champions. I'm like, you're United States champions, and that's it. <laughs> like, that's all. I want to talk about this, this idea of church with all people. R recently, my, my wife and I celebrated 13 years, 13 years of marriage together. It's, it's actually just a few weeks ago. And, and for our 13th wedding anniversary, some friends of ours got us, got us really great seats to, to the Ohio State Buckeyes Michigan State Spartans football game. Now, if you're unfamiliar with college football in the States, it is a really big deal, okay? It's a big deal. And, 
And I just happen to live in Buckeye country. I mean, the Ohio State Buckeye, it's the second largest on-campus, um, uh, uh, undergrads on-campus university in America. It's a, it's a big deal. Everybody loves the Buckeyes in Columbus. And so when you go to a game, like, the, the city just lights up. There's a ton of energy. It's palpable. It's fun. And so we're, we're headed to the game, and we've been to several games at this point. But this game was a special game because they're playing against the Michigan State Spartans. They're a ranked team. We're a ranked team. It's under the lights. It's 7.30 in the evening. It's going to be a beautiful evening. We cannot wait. We're headed to the stadium. And now Ohio State and Michigan do not like each other at all. It would be the equivalent of how much you all hated the Cleveland Cavaliers for a few years, even though we never hated you, but you hated us. It would be the equivalent of that, but it's reciprocated back and forth every single year for about the last 100 years now. And so we're headed to the game, and we're in some pretty thick traffic. We only live about 10 minutes from the stadium, but on game day, we live about an hour from the stadium. You know what I mean? And so we're headed, we're headed there, and I mean, we are in bumper-to-bumper traffic, trying to get off the exit, going like, like at a blazing fast speed of five kilometers an hour, like going nowhere fast, right? And so we are, we are there, and there's this vehicle who's kind of speeding up beside all of the cars that have been waiting patiently to get off of the exit, and he's trying to cut in. He's trying to cut the line. You, you, know, you know what I mean? You ever meet those people that are trying to cut... And we're like, man, we're all waiting patiently here, and you're trying to cut the line. And, and so, so we're, we're getting off of the exit, right? And, and, and it's about my turn to let this car in. Nobody has chosen or allowed to let this vehicle in. One of the reasons is because he was impatient, and nobody wants to be that person that's the impatient person in. But the other reason was because he was decked out. His vehicle was decked out in Michigan State gear, like he had stickers all over his car. He had a Michigan license plate on. Like, like this guy was from Michigan, and so none of the Ohio State people wanted to let him in. It became, it, it became almost my turn to decide whether or not I was going to be the one to let him in. Meanwhile, my wife is asking me, like on several occasions, she's like, baby, you're going to let him in, right? You're going to let him in. I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm literally telling her, like, I haven't decided yet. And, and she, she's like, honey, she's like, you've been there before. You are that person sometimes. I'm like, shh. You know? And, and so, so it becomes my turn. I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I, sh- I probably should let him in. It probably would be like the, the Jesus thing to do, right? And so, so I'm like, man, I should let him in. But then it dawns on me. I'm like, man, but if I let him in, what, what if like all the other Ohio State fans see me and then I get out of my car and they beat me up? I'm like, honey, I'm sorry. I just, I can't let him in. So I choose not to let him in, but there was a little bit of space in between me and the vehicle in front of me. And so he tried to get in and I looked at him and I gave him the no. I was like, nope, nope. I like shook my head, no. And I kind of just sped up like, like a little bit. And, and then he starts giving me like the number one sign, you know, like you're number one. I was like, I know we are. And, 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 and he's yelling things at me. And Courtney's like, babe, just let him in. I'm like, no. Not absolutely, absolutely not. And, and so I choose not to let him in, right? I choose choose not to let the vehicle in. And, and afterwards, I kind of felt bad about it. We're getting out of the car, and, and I told Courtney, I was like, I kind of feel bad. I feel like I should let him in. She's like, you should have let him in. You should feel bad. But it's funny, though, because all of us at some point or another in our lives, we, we tend to look for loopholes as to why we shouldn't treat people the way that we would want to be treated. You ever noticed this before? Have, have you ever experienced that in your own life before? We tend to give others, or rather, I should say, we tend to give ourselves more grace than what we tend to give others. 
don't we? Like we want people to extend grace to us, but we're not really always that quick to extend grace, grace to other people. I think this happens time and time again. We, we can look at this even in our own lives, just in regards to the people that we work with. Sometimes they don't treat us with the grace that we desire to be treated with, and so therefore we don't treat them with the grace of the love that we would hope that they would treat us with. Sometimes people who certainly just don't look like you or they don't act like you or, come on, here's a big one, they don't believe like you believe. And so, so consequently, we tend to kind of treat them differently than what we ourselves would want to be treated. Sometimes simply because they have a different pedigree or different education status than us. And whether or not we do it intentionally, because truth be told is sometimes we do this unintentionally, but we overlook people and we find excuses as to why. Let me unpack this just, just a little bit because in Luke chapter 10, there's, there's an expert of the law who, who asks a question because he's looking for a loophole out of treating people the way that he himself would desire to be, to be treated. Now before we unpack this story, it's imperative that we all understand this and get on the same page here. Jesus liked people who were nothing like him, and people who were nothing like Jesus liked him. And the more that you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the newer portion of our Bible referred to as the Gospels, they are the eyewitness accounts of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The more we begin to see his interactions with people who were nothing like him, and yet they seemingly always wanted to be around him. And the only reason why you would want to be around somebody who is nothing like you is because of the way that that person treats you. And Jesus unpacks this in in Luke chapter 10. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in here this morning, and maybe you're kind of still skeptical about this whole God thing, you're going to love this story because you're going to get a sneak peek behind the curtain, so to speak. Uh, That was like a Dr. Seuss thing there, wasn't it? Sneak peek behind the curtain, so to speak. And and, and uh, uh, behind what, what Christianity was intended, or at least what Jesus intended for Christianity, for Christianity to look like. In Luke chapter 10, verse, verse 25, it, it says that on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to, to test Jesus. And this expert of the law says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, Well, what's written in the law? How, how do you read it? The man answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Ding, 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 Jesus replied, you've answered correctly, now just go and do that. Just just go and do that. Now this is an expert of the law. The man's not a dummy. He he knows, He, he knows I can't just go and do that. That's a lot easier said than than done. Have you ever noticed that it's, it's much easier to love God who you can't see than it is to love your neighbor who you can see? And the man knows. He, he's like, okay, if that's how I inter- inherit eternal life, and you're telling me just to go and do that, I can't do that. I, I, can't, I can't just love everybody, like, like unconditionally, like, like beyond conditions. I, I can't do that. And so the man begins to look for a loophole. And we all, we all if we're honest... Come on, somebody, this is church. We've we got to be honest. We're all of our honest. We, we all look for loopholes. Every single day we look for loopholes. And so we can relate with this, with this man. And so he's looking for a loophole. And it says in verse 29, but wanting to justify himself, he asks 
Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And in reply, classic Jesus fashion, he begins to tell a, a story. And he says, there's a man. He's going, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, Jesus is telling a made-up story. He's telling a parable. It's a story that he's just kind of using his imagination to tell. But he's using real-life examples. And this road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a familiar road to the listeners here in Luke chapter 10. In fact, this road is a notoriously dangerous road. It's slightly less than 20 kilometers in length. It's narrow, it's rocky, has sudden twists and turns. It is a happy hunting ground for bandits and bad guys. Like this is not a road that you'd want to travel by yourself. In fact, in fact, in the third century, there's an emperor who nicknamed this road the Red or the Bloody Way. How would you like to wake up, tell your mom you're headed from Jerusalem to Jericho on the road called the Bloody Way? You're like, no, you don't travel this road by yourself. In fact, it wasn't until 1930, just, just almost 100 years ago, that this road was considered to be safe to travel. So this is, a, this is a very familiar road to the listener here. And Jesus introduces his first character in the story, a man, a traveler, a sojourner, who's going from Jerusalem down to Jericho on this very same road. Obviously, this is a foolish man because you don't travel from Jerusalem to Jericho by yourself. You travel with companions. You travel with friends. You travel, you travel in a caravan. And the man's about to find himself in a condition, a condition that many of you are familiar with because you've seen and read and heard of this story before, but he about to f- he's about to find himself in a condition that he has no one else to blame but himself. It says in verse, in verse 30 that this man then was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. Now recently I was reading this story, and I just, I don't know why, but I just, I just thought, that, that term half dead is a funny term, isn't it? H- how are you half dead? Like, you're either alive or you're dead, but how are you half dead? And so I, I, I looked up the original language just to kind of figure out, what is, what is this really referring to here? And it, it literally means that your, your body is alive, but your spirit, your soul is dead. Could it be that Jesus is trying to give us an illustration here? That this man who is on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, he, his body's still alive on the side of this road, but something on the inside, the real him, the real you, the real me, is dead. It's lonely, confused, isolated. And it says that a priest then, in verse 31, happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he, he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. See, the Samaritan, when he's introduced in the story here, it's important that we understand this. To the listener, to those that Jesus was telling the story to, they would have assumed that when the Samaritan arrived, that the villain just showed up. If the priest passed by on the other side, and the Levite passed by on the other side. The Samaritan's probably going to push this dude off the cliff. Like, this is a bad man. Because the Samaritans and in, in the Jews, who Jesus is a Jew by birth, speaking to a primarily Jewish people, they had no dealings with each other. This would be the equivalent, no doubt, of... Do you all love Kawhi Leonard now? 
You should hate him. We don't like LeBron anymore. But this would be the, this would be the equivalent of, of your worst enemy coming along when you are beaten down. And you would not expect for your worst enemy to do anything kind to you. This, there, there's a lot of racism that's, that's connected to this story. There's so much tension here between the, between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans. And it says when the Samaritan comes along, when the Samaritan comes along, it says he saw him and he had compassion on him and he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him and then put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, to an inn. We'll get back to that later. And he took care of him. Then the next day, he took out two dinar and he gave them to the innkeeper, told the man, look after him. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, good, now just go and do that. Just go and just do that. Now, now, generally speaking, we hear this story and that's the climactic conclusion. Be more like the Samaritan. Just go and do that. But to this man, this expert in the law, when he hears Jesus say, just go and do that, that wasn't like a, you can do it, buddy. I got faith in you. That was like a very sarcastic, like, huh, cool. All right, expert in the law, you know so much. You're so righteous all on your own. Just go and do that. The man would have heard that statement and felt extremely debilitated, felt extremely frustrated, felt extremely less than capable of just going and doing that. That seems like a novel idea. And most of the time when we hear this story, we hear this story in context of like, yeah, just be more like the good Samaritan. But do you know who the Good Samaritan is in this story? It's not you. And it's not me. It's Jesus. And so when Jesus tells this man, go and do that, he's telling him, you can't just go and do that. Only I can actually go and do that. You can't just go and do that unless, of course, you first understand that I've already gone and done that for you. So when the expert of the law hears Jesus say, go and do that, and yet he doesn't recognize Jesus for who Jesus really is, this man finds himself in a predicament where he cannot inherit eternal life, which was the original question that he asked Jesus the answer to. How can I, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you got to go and do that. Yet Jesus is kind of being tongue-in-cheek with the man, knowing that you can't just, he's kind of playing coy with the guy. You can't just go and do that unless, of course, you first understand that that's how I've treated you. That you and I, and hang with me here, you and I, most of us were found half dead on a road that we decided to travel on ourselves. And Jesus came along and put us on his donkey and took us to an inn. And I, I, I think that the inn is oftentimes the overlooked character, so to speak, in this story. The good Samaritan, the man traveling on the road, the priest, the Levite, they kind of get the golden globe of the story, don't they? They kind of get, they kind of get all of the attention, don't they? But the, but the inn, I, I believe the inn is actually the focal point 
of what Jesus is trying to illustrate for us here in this, here in this story. Several years ago now, in fact, it was before I even got married, so it was about 15 years ago, I, I decided that I wanted, to, I wanted to spend some time traveling and, and kind of experiencing some, some other countries and some different missions and organizations all around the world. And so for about four months, I spent some time in, in India, and, and there was a, a beautiful organization and ministry over there that I was a part of for, for some time. And, and, and near the end of my time there, I had grown really close in relationship with with about four of the, the native Indians who also worked at that ministry with me. And I wanted to take them out to kind of like, like, a, like, a, like a beautiful resort area or, or maybe just like, kind of just experience like a night away in a hotel someplace. And so I went to the director of the ministry and I said, hey, I said, would it be okay, it would be okay if I took my, my four friends to a, to a hotel overnight and just kind of treated them to like some bougie experience or something? And, and, and he said, sure, but... But like, where are you going to take them? I was like, I don't know. I was going to ask you, like, where should we go? We've been kind of hanging out in this small little village on the southern tip of India called Rayakutta. And, and I said, I want, to, I want to take them, like, to someplace beautiful. And he's like, he said, Jordan, he said, you, you know it's kind of dangerous where we're at here. Like, you shouldn't probably be traveling if you don't know where you're going. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he said, Jordan, you know that hotels here are not like your hotels back home. I was like, what do you mean? He said, our hotels here, at least in this area, are really safe havens or safe houses for travelers as they're headed from one destination to the other so that they wouldn't be left just to kind of hang out in the cold at night where they could experience somebody who would do something to them that they wouldn't want them to do to them. He said, he said our, our, our hotels aren't like your hotels. I was reading this story recently, and it, and it dawned on me how... This, this inn here, as I began to study out what was really taking place on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, wasn't an inn like you and I would assume an inn to be. This inn here is actually a, a safe house. It's a, it's a safe haven for, for people who are traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho so they can get out of, out of harm's way. This, this inn actually represents something that I think you and I are supposed to be a part of ourselves. See, there was a code of conduct among young Jewish boys and girls that their fathers and mothers would teach them at a very young age in Jesus' day. It was a code of house, hospitality of sorts that we were taught to treat strangers like guests unless they're first proven to be dangerous. Now, this road is a very dangerous road, and, and follow with me here. And the inns on this road had been started to be built so that travelers could find protection and that strangers could be treated like family. These inns were positioned in places of danger. They were positioned so they could be safe havens for struggling or wayward travelers. And I think in this story, what's often overlooked, we kind of just oftentimes take it like, oh, yeah, it's, the, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. I think it's the story of an inn. Because this, this, this inn is something that Jesus is trying to illustrate for us. I think Jesus is trying to show us what his church is supposed to look like. What his home for humanity was intended to first and foremost ever to be, to become. I think so often we, we kind of confuse church with, with being a, being some beautiful facility and, and I'm so for that and I, 
in the name of Jesus, declare that Ethos Church will have a beautiful facility. But, but, but I think sometimes we, we, we think that this, is, that this is it. It's about being in a comfortable chair around people who, you know, believe the same as us and kind of are headed in the same direction as us and want to accomplish the same things in life as, as us. But, but man, I, I dream of a church that functions more like this inn than some big old country club whose gates are often closed to only the select few who are allowed to, to come in. I, I, I dream of a, of a church where people can walk in bleeding for whatever reason. I told our church this recently because to be honest with you, this is, this, is, this is why my wife and I planted Ethos Church. I said, I don't ever wanna just play church. I pray to God that we be the church. And we were, we were talking about this recently. I said, I said man, listen, our, our vision needs to be so big and we need to be so secure in our faith in Jesus Christ that people can come into this place questioning every single thing that we believe and yet we're not trying to argue with them to convince them of their beliefs. We're just saying, hey man, you belong here. I don't believe anything that you believe. I don't look like you. My sexual orientation is even different than yours. And yet here I am. We're so glad you're here. Are you, are you really, are you just saying that? No, I'm telling you, we are so glad you are here because I remember when I was that half dead man beaten on the side of the road, I was the one who got myself in that position to begin with. And so I'm just so glad that you're here because I can't wait for you to experience the love of Jesus through not just me, but through our entire community. I dream of a church whose vision is so big and faith is so strong and view of Jesus is so healthy that people can walk in and truly feel comfortable and yet convicted at the same time, no matter where they're from or what they believe. The Samaritan man in this story, Jesus, puts himself out to help out the man in need. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? He gets down into the dirt. He puts this bloody, beaten, sweaty man over his shoulder onto his donkey, uses his own money to provide shelter for the man. He does what, what we are all called to do, to carry the burdens so that others don't have to carry it alone, to carry, to carry the burdens to an end. I want to give you this, this illustration and, and I want to preface it with this. I'm about to take my jacket off and I'm about to reveal to you a very wrinkly white shirt, okay? And the reason why it's a wrinkly, wrinkly white shirt is because I forgot to tell Ellen to make sure that it was a clean pressed white shirt. So that's why I wore my jacket this whole time and now I'm sweating. I think so often we think that the goal of Christianity is to kind of, is to kind of be like this white shirt to look real clean on the outside. And yet the reality is that we are supposed to be really clean on the inside. We're, we're intended to live holy, righteous, set apart lives. But I think that the cleaner that we get on the inside really should translate to the dirtier we are on the outside. Let me, let me show you this illustration real quick. Imagine with me, I've got a friend and he's dealing with some stuff that maybe I can't personally relate to. He's going through some, 
some serious mental struggles in his life and he's dealing with depression and anxiety and I I can't fully relate to the pain that he's going through on the inside but I say hey brother man I, I want you to know that I'm with you that I love you that I am for you that I will not let you walk through this thing alone that I, I will not I will not let you stand all by yourself. I want to take you to lunch after church. I want to talk with you. Here's my number. Call me whenever you need me. I'm going to pay for counseling for you if you can't pay for it yourself. I want you to know that I'm in this thing with you. Imagine with me if I've got another friend who, he's going through some pain in his body. He's been diagnosed and been told that he doesn't have We got a young ah, we got a young girl in our church right now. When she was six years old, she was she was diagnosed with cancer. She had to get a large portion of her arm removed. She relapsed when she was 22 years old. That was just two years ago. Two weeks ago, she relapsed again. Yesterday she called me. She said, I just left the doctor's office this morning and the doctor gave me a 15% chance to live. Her and her husband just got married this past summer. I said, I'm crying not because I don't believe. I said, the doctors gave you 15%. God can make up that 85%. And I want you to know that you're not alone. So we're gonna, we're gonna be with you. We're gonna take you to appointments. We're gonna pray with you. We're gonna, we're gonna cover your rent if you need help financially. I want you to know that we're in this thing with you. And if, if they won't let me into, the, into your room, into your hospital, I'm gonna be outside of the hospital. I'm gonna be waving my phone so that you know that your church is with you and for you. But I don't want you to walk through this thing alone. I don't want you to carry this burden alone. Imagine with me, I've got another friend who, Maybe, maybe he's just got some questions about his faith and he's just doubting some things in his life and he's just not real sure what he believes anymore. And I want him to know that, hey, it's okay to question. It's okay to have fears. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to have some concerns. I want you to know that we can, we can grab coffee together. You can ask me anything you want. I'm not going to pretend like I have all of the answers. But I do want you to know that I'm still with you. I'm still your boy, you're still my boy, we're still in this thing together. And the more that you begin to kind of get down into the dirt with people, the messier you get, and the more that kind of the stuff that they got going on in their life kind of gets on to you. It doesn't get in you, but it gets on to you. And here's where sometimes people get a little bit confused because they think, well, if I'm carrying everybody else's burdens, and now that gives me a whole lot more burden. Now i got more things to pray about, more things to think about. No, no. Jesus tells us exactly what we're supposed to do. He says, okay, now, okay, now, guys, now I want you all, I want you all to come with me to the inn. I want you to come with me to the inn. Because I've got a bunch of friends who are going to love on you, who are going to pray for you, who are going to accept you, who are going to allow you to be a part of this community. We're going to carry this thing in community together. I don't want you to walk alone. I don't want you to feel like... You have to walk alone. I want you to know that we're in this thing together. And that's the beauty of the church. You know, the early church was built on need. 
And now today in 21st century church, seems like Christians run from need. We've got Jessica, Jessica Wright, volunteer director, Jessica talking about, hey, we, we, we got more room for people to serve, more places, more need, bigger vision, more opportunity. And we're like, need? That's for somebody else. But that's for you. That's for me. If we want to see revival in renewal, in a move of God's spirit, like we saw in first century and second century, you ever think about this? The early church was persecuted in a way that we have yet to experience or see even still today. Even in the worst countries in the Middle East, they haven't experienced persecution like they were experiencing in the first and second centuries. And yet the church was growing at astronomical rates. Why? Because there was a community of people that was so attractive that literally met needs on a daily basis. And people were like, I want to be a part of that. And yet somehow today, we run from need, and we abandon need, and when we hear of need in the church, that should be the first place. Can I just get all pastoral on you, because Pastor Brett probably doesn't maybe always feel like he could say this, but I can say this, because I'm going to leave, and you all can hate me if you want, but, but I, I, want, I, want you, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. It is our responsibility to help build the kingdom. It's not an option. Oftentimes, our role within the church, when lives get busy, are the first things that take a back seat. We got a lot of, a lot of things going on in life, a lot of, lot, of, lot, of, lot of other places we could be spending our finances. And what's the first thing that we stop giving to? The kingdom of God. We got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things going on in our schedule, a lot of extracurricular activities going on. What's the first thing that takes a backseat on our calendar? The kingdom of God. Come on, church. Shouldn't be. We need to lean in and say, what, what burden does the church have? I want to be a part of helping carry that burden so that only 20% of the people aren't carrying the burden all by themselves. Because generally speaking, that's how the church kind of works. 20% of the people carry the burden for the other 80% of the church. What if, what if that looked different for us here at the City Church? And we said, no, 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 I'm in. I'm in. I want to be a part of carrying the burdens of the person on my left and my right. I'm not going to just be that person who stands in the distance and kind of looks off to the side and says, okay, what's going on over there? Oh, Pastor Brent, Pastor Brent, they need some help over there. No, no, how can I help? Let me hear your story. I want to be a part of experiencing your pain. I want to carry that burden with you. You got bills? I have, I have excess supply. My wife and I were talking about this recently. We, we were saying, I said, I said, baby, I said, what if, what if our goal in life was to not build up like our bank account? What, what, if, what if we have like a certain, a certain dollar amount that we don't like to see our savings account go beneath? I said, baby, I said, what if, what if we just, what if we just live so radically? That any need that we saw, if we had supply, we just met it. And we didn't live in fear that eventually we wouldn't have supply, but we just, we lived, we lived sent more than we lived safe. And we said, we're not going to be dictated, determined by fear. We're going to, if we have, if we have supply and there's a need, we're going to be, we're going to be need meters. What if we did that? What, what if we lived that way? What if that was the reputation of the church? What if that was the reputation of you? So I want, to, I want to close with these three quick points. Thank you, guys. I want to close with these three quick points. When, 
when the man asks, who's my neighbor, Jesus really replies with, with three things. He says, we, we're going to help those who brought trouble on themselves. We're going to help those who brought trouble on themselves. Number two, we're going to help those of any nation, any tribe, any color, any belief. And number three, we're going to help those with any need, and we're going to help them in practical ways. You know, I am learning, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit for a greater revelation of this. I'm a man in debt. I'm indebted to Jesus. And someday, someday, I'm going to look him into the eyes. I'm going to see his love. I'm going to feel the embrace of his arms. But until that day, I have been planted in his church. And so I'm going to live on a mission to pay back that love that he's extended to me. And I want to extend it to everybody else that I come into contact with. Except for Michigan fans. You bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I want you just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If you're in here today and you would be so bold as to simply pray a just a quick little prayer. Just ask the Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do with what I just heard? And maybe there's a, a friend that's been going through a situation in their life and he would just prompt you to take them out to coffee and to hear their story. Maybe there's a family member who's been struggling in their faith and you've not been sure how to respond to them. The Holy Spirit's gonna give you a prompt right now. Maybe there's been something that you've been pushing off, an area of involvement that you could get involved in You've been waiting for just the perfect time where your schedule aligns so uniquely so that you could then plug in and serve here at the City Church. But today's the day. Say, no, I want to I carry burdens in community. I, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this kingdom that God is building here in the greater Toronto region. Holy Spirit, what would you have me do with what I just heard? Jesus. continue with every head bowed and every eye closed if you're if you're here today and you'd say I don't, I don't know Jesus but I want to I want to place my faith and my trust in him whether for the very first time or I want to recommit rededicate my life to Jesus maybe you've kind of walked away from him at one point or another and on this morning you'd say I, I want to know that my relationship with God is, is right I'm in good standing with him and the only way to do that is to allow Jesus to bridge the gap between you and your Heavenly Father who loves you more than anybody else. And I don't want you to make an emotional decision. I want you to make an intentional decision to say yes to Jesus, whether for the first time or to recommit your life to Christ. And there's nobody looking around because this moment and this decision is between you and God. And so I just simply want you to lift up your hand on the count of three, if that's you. You say, I want to say yes to Jesus for the first time or I want to recommit my life to Christ. I'm going to come back into a relationship with him. And I just need prayer today. There's nobody looking around. I'm going to lead you in prayer in just a moment. There's nobody looking around. 
I just want you to lift up your hand when I count to three. One, two, three. Lift up your hand real high. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's amazing. Church, can we pray this prayer together? And if you lifted your hand, I just want to encourage you. You're not praying this prayer to me or to the person on your left or to your right. We're praying this to God. He hears you. He loves you. He knows you. Everyone say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. I believe that he's the Son of God. I believe that he died for me and that he rose from the dead so that I could be saved. And on this day, I call upon the name of Jesus and my life will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. Thank you for your support. If you want to connect with us, you can find us online at thecitychurch.ca.